Welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Today we have a bonus episode. This was not scheduled to happen until about a week or so ago. Um, And then somebody decided to start drinking wine while in Spain, and uh, (laughs) things sort of escalated from there. Um, In in case you don't know, uh, our our co-host Vaughn uh, decided to tweet about the paramount accords and and the sort of the the news that has come out of uh, of the repeal of those and um yeah it picked up some traction and i'm legally not allowed to go into um what actually happened from a twitter account slash fame point of view but we are at least allowed to talk about the the content itself and what Vaughn was talking about and allow Vaughn a platform to talk about it more on this show so um Vaughn who i consider a friend and i don't think you're any better than you were a week ago just so we we get that out of the way uh (laughs) do you want to introduce um what the topic is and um yeah we'll we'll go from there and i will we promise we won't we won't say anything nice to you i promise it's fine please do not okay (laughs) so um what had happened was i was talking to a friend about wb and what's happening happening right now with them Um, and I started telling her about the Paramount Accords and she was like, I don't know anything about this. So we finished our conversation and I was quite tipsy. So I was like, I'm going to make a thread about this because it's ridiculous. And then I did. And then it owned Twitter for a bit. And there are some points that I want to clarify. Um, because again, I was tipsy when I wrote it and yelling to a friend, um, So we're going to go through the history of the Paramount Accords, what they actually are, what they did, and then we'll just have some conversation about the speculations we can make about what it actually means to repeal the Paramount Accords for the film industry now. Sound good? Absolutely, it does, yeah. And then at the end, we might um, reintroduce ourselves a little bit for any new listeners that have hopped on board as a result of uh, Vaughn's fame and uh, maybe have some suggested episodes of some of the fun stuff that we've done while um, most of the time drinking, to be perfectly honest, over the last uh, last few years. So, yes. uh, Vaughn, um, I'm sad to say I don't think you have wine in hand, but do you want to take it away anyway? I, I do not have wine in hand, but all good things do come from wine for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, let's jump into it. Um, so the issue of the Paramount Accords, what they did was they ended the studio system. And we'll go through all of that. But the issues within it are the antitrust action and the monopolization of the motion picture industry. So this issue actually originated in the silent film era. The Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, began investigating studios for possible abuses of the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. In the late 19th century and early 20th century, Uh, in the U.S. saw a lot of trust busting or like the breaking up of monopolies. And in the silent film era of Hollywood, the federal government was watching to make sure that this like budding motion picture industry wasn't poising to violate any of them. And then spoiler alert, they did all of them, every single one. Um, So the way Hollywood worked back then was a studio would contract everyone. So you were tied to a studio. And they could loan out your contract to other studios if they felt the deal was fair, but they didn't have to. And you essentially worked for one single studio. And that's not just actors, that's writers, directors, animators, producers, everyone working on a film was tied to a studio. And the studio also owned either directly or through partnership, a large portion of movie theaters in the country and the movie theater chains especially. And because a studio owned them, they would only show the films from that studio or charge exorbitant fees to show other studios' films. So this is vertical integration. The studios own the production or the entire process of making a film, the distribution, which is marketing, essentially, and the exhibition, which is showing the film to an audience. And they maximize their profits, especially with exhibition. 
Um, so the Paramount Accords were decided in 1948, but the original case came from 1938, a decade before. During the Great Depression, the DOJ and the FTC were watching Hollywood uh, for antitrust kind of violations, but they kind of let them slide a little bit and like turned a blind eye because everyone was kind of in financial peril. So they were like, it's all right right now. Um, but there were a lot of lawsuits from independent theaters or um, independent filmmakers against the, the movie studios for various reasons, but largely all tied to vertical integration. So in 1938, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, sued the major studios for breaching antitrust laws. Paramount was the biggest studio at the time, so they were named as the primary defendant in United States versus Paramount Pictures Incorporated. But all of the big five, um, being Paramount, RKO, Warner Brothers, 20th Century Fox, and MGM, as well as the little three, being Columbia, Universal, and United Artists, were named in the case. Um, and it, we should note here that Disney was not named in the Paramount case. We'll get back to that. So the 1938 case was settled in the Southern District of New York courts in 1940 with consent decrees. And consent decrees, very simply, um, are settlements where neither party accepts guilt, but accepts the ramifications of the judge's verdict. Uh, so here, that is changed behavior and business dealings that would eventually break the vertical integration uh, system later in the decade. According to the DOJ website about this, um, they say, quote, after a trial, the district court found that the defendants had engaged in a widespread conspiracy to illegally fix motion picture prices and monopolize both the film distribution and movie theater markets, end quote. So what happened was they signed consent decrees and then didn't follow them. In 1942, the studios developed something called a unity plan with allied theater owners, um, a company of theater owners, that would help them skirt the decrees. And the Society of Independent Motion Picture Producers, or SIMP, sued Paramount Detroit theaters. This was the first real break we see in the studio system because the lawsuit wasn't the government suing Hollywood. It was producers suing exhibitors, um, albeit independents suing a studio's exhibitor. In 1945, just after World War II ended, the district court ruled in favor of the studios and the government immediately sent the case to the Supreme Court with an appeal. It reached SCOTUS in 1948 and they overturned the district court's opinion um, in that case, and went against movie studios with a seven to one opinion in what we call now the Hollywood antitrust case of 1948. The decision forced the end of the vertical integration studio system and also forced studios to divest and divorce themselves from their movie theater chains. There were several points to the Paramount decrees. So one is this divorcement of studios from the theater chains. Two was an end to block booking which is when a studio um, sold a major film but tacked on a handful of B and C list films that would never be bought on their own. Three is an end to circuit dealing, meaning they would have one license that covered every theater in that theater district. Four is an end to resale price maintenance, which was studios setting a minimum price on movie tickets. And five was an end to overboard clearances which is when certain geographic areas had exclusive film licensing agreements with the studios. So that's the decrees. Um, what happened after that is that, well, a lot of things. It's been, um, what, 50 some years or 70 some years, something like that. I can't do math, but it's been so many years since the decrees happened. And in that time, Hollywood has gone through massive, massive changes. 
especially with developments in technology, um, developments in other legislation about how Hollywood can function, fights with unions, um, where we always support the workers. And the decrees immediately did really great things for independent artists, independent filmmakers, independent um, theater chains. It also helped some of the smaller, but still fairly large in comparison to independence um, film studios kind of flourish. We see Disney now, who wasn't big enough to be named in the Paramount Accords. They are one of the largest, if not the largest movie studio in the world now. So things are drastically different. Um, back then for one precise example, it was common for a metropolitan area to only have one or two cinemas, period. And many of the first run cinemas where they debut films for their opening runs um, only had one screen. Multiplexes or cinemas with multiple screens mostly came after the 40s. And then we also have movies shown on TV now, which was not happening in 1948 by any stretch of the imagination. And we also have other home video capabilities. There's VHS and then DVD, Blu-ray, and then streaming happened. And streaming has thrown a complete wrench into exhibition. So that brings us kind of roughly up to date um, to 2018 when DOJ, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, started thinking about maybe we should repeal the Paramount Accords. And they formally filed in 2019 to repeal them. Um, they filed to the Southern District of New York, which was the first district court to decide um, on the original 1938 case. And the Southern District Court of New York decided the DOJ was right and that we didn't need the Paramount Accords anymore and that they didn't need an update, um, which is what I argue they absolutely did. So in the thread, I did say that it was SCOTUS who repealed them and that is not technically right. It is the federal court of the Southern District of New York who repealed them um, at the DOJ's discretion. I think we're about up to date. What do you guys want to get into here? Um, so thank you for that, Vaughn. Um, that, 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 was, that was really, really interesting and sort of an expansion of what, what you said in the thread. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess the, well, I, I guess for me is the, the first thing that kind of comes out of this is, is the timing and, and why, why specifically in, in 2018, what, what, the DOJ decided to to basically pursue um, removing the the accords. Um, obviously, the the, the streaming services. I, I think you said that Netflix was like a, a big reason why um, they were saying. I assume this was like no longer needed, or, or these accords were sort of uh, off a bygone era. Um, but, but do we know if there was any pressure from film studios to be doing this? Um, do we know anything more about the, the, the timing and, and the decision um, and any pressure that came, came about to, to cause this to happen? So that's an excellent question. Um, I don't have a full answer for you because this happened so recently and we don't have the full picture yet. But we do have access to public access to the DOJ's mm -hmm. um, letter of repeal and their reasoning for putting this forward in November 2019 when they did. They started speculating on, a, on it in 2018 and that is largely just due to Trump era uh, deregulation mm -hmm. and this push for uh, fewer antitrust laws. The, the DOJ at the time felt that we shouldn't be so hard on larger corporations. Sure. Um, there's also been a change to antitrust legislation that 
it can that consent decrees can only last for 10 years before they go into review or are just repealed. So the DOJ, DOJ felt in their, their uh, review letter on this that the Paramount Accords were from a bygone era um, that didn't match our current kind of views on antitrust. I'm putting this so delicately because I really want to come after this for this. But the, <laughs> the DOJ specifically said in this that um, the Paramount Accords, quote, prohibit conduct that today might be deemed legal and beneficial to competition and consumers, end quote. And in the next sentence, say, today, vertical integration would be reviewed under a different standard, end quote. So they they were really pushing for Hollywood to not have these these laws and saying like is vertical integration really that bad <laughs> which I would argue it fucking is it absolutely mm-hmm. is the the film industry is absolutely massive and vertical integration blocked out so many independents and so many crucial ideas from independents that we need we need those differing opinions and and challenges to the main voices that we hear coming from now disney and um from wb for whatever that's worth at the moment while they're still yeah. around um from all these other kind of studios and then with that with that timing it's really interesting that it came in 2019 before COVID, because the main issue, as you just referenced, Simon, the main issue that the DOJ saw was streaming, that the Paramount Accords don't actually cover any of the the streaming services, and they also don't cover any of the, like, real existing companies now. Companies don't, the, Mm -hmm. the studios don't exist in the same form that they did then. Um... And some of them don't exist anymore at all. 20th Century Fox was bought by Disney. Um, MGM was bought by Amazon. RKO went bankrupt in 1959. And they were three of the main defendants in the Accords. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with legislation that only really ties those eight companies named? And those eight companies had to sign the decrees So technically, by all technicality, only those eight were tied to the decrees, were beholden to them. Technically, anyone else could have been doing block booking or owning cinema chains or something because it was only Mm -hmm. those eight who signed them. But there was kind of this agreement in Hollywood and not really an agreement, but a threat from the DOJ that if other studios did start doing things that weren't allowed by the Paramount Accords, even though they were technically allowed to, they could then be hit with lawsuits in the same way that Paramount and the other, the other seven studios were. Yeah. So you, you couldn't go too far out of line. Like other studios were definitely still partaking in block booking, for example. Um, but never to the level that would have gotten them kind of cracked down on by the accords, mm-hmm. by somebody filing a lawsuit and being like, maybe you should have to sign a, the, a consent decree. So the DOJ said, like, in 2019, they said, these don't actually hold anyone who's around now to the same standard. And like Disney wasn't named and the DOJ highlights that Disney was the top distributor with $3 billion in 2018 over any other distributor in the motion picture industry. So how can we, how can we even possibly try to legislate the decrees onto Disney when they have never been beholden to them? And that gives them unfair competition or an unfair advantage over competition rather. And they also really highlighted the the streaming companies. So the DOJ, in their opinion, said, quote, 
none of the internet streaming companies, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and others, that produce and distribute movies are subject to the decrees. Thus, the remaining defendants are subject to legal constraints that do not apply to their competitors, end quote. And this is a really, really big deal because that could have been a turning point where we say, you're right, we should update the accords and include streaming in them and actually name Netflix and Amazon and Apple, if you want, as movie studios because they are not legally movie studios. They're streaming sites first. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other kind of legal battle that we could be talking about here. There's so many factors for every level of this, of why the Paramount Accords were put in place in the first place and why they were repealed and what ramifications they could have. And then also so many factors as to why Hollywood is the way it is at the moment. But I think for answering your question there of why did this come in 2019, I think the, the most straightforward answer is Trump deregulation policies and thinking around the time, conservatism just generally, and legacy Reaganomics. The, like it's the most Reagan argument to say, is vertical integration really that bad when in essence it's trickle down economics? Mm. Yeah, that, that is, I, I'm almost not sure where, where to go with kind of the next questions and all this because I, I find it so fascinating. There's so many things we, we could get into. I think one of the things that immediately strikes me is just how different the film industry is and the media landscape is even to 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So if you think of when um, VHL, VHS and home video really came to life in the 80s and the, the impact that was able to, to have on um, additional resource and additional re- uh, funds for, for film studio, studios and, and basically breathe life in, into, in, into being able to sell um, a film back to people and then you know, t- turn that to DVD and then Blu-ray. But even if you look at the how things were set up, even as short as a decade ago, you very much still had um, the, the schedule. If you released a film, it had these long windows of exclusive, exclusivity in cinemas where they ran. And then there was a period after that where you could sell it on you know, DVD or Blu-ray. Um, they might have um, exclusive... Um, like in the United Kingdom, for instance, they may have gone to Sky, but you'd have to purchase it as like a, as a, as a one-off purchase. Then it might become available a bit later on after that to like actual sort of normal and non-exclusive paying customers. And, you know, you if you were just sort of a person at home, you, know, you would wait months to see the film again after you saw it in the cinema. And you, you look at it now and the film might not go to the cinema at all, or if it does, it might have um, day in day out release. So it's it's basically getting released in the cinemas at the same time as it's available to, to purchase on demand in in uh, online uh, on your TV, or it could just be streaming on your your TV as part of your subscription service to that. Um, and, and so the the change in the business model, I think, is 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 fascinating. Whether or not you agree with the decision or not. Uh, I think you do have to appreciate how different the film industry has become over the last sort of two decades and even mm. just the last decade and the the amount of money that's been taken out by say the the loss of blu-ray sales um has meant that mid-tier films just aren't getting made as much matt damon was i think he was on a podcast explaining this the, the other week and how that is the i think what sometimes it's also easy to forget is how much money actually goes into marketing films. And yeah. so if you have a budget of 30 million, the cinemas will take a proportion of whatever they make of that. So the film studios only make back say half of that. So they have to sort of double their money there, but they also have to put money into marketing. And so if you've got a $30 million film, something becomes a $60 million film and you've got to kind of got to double your money to sort of make back what you had. And that, gets to like a hundred odd million for a smaller film and suddenly the economics becomes harder. And part of the problem with that is that you're reducing every film to an economic decision about mm-hmm. trying to bring back revenue 
uh, and bring back money based off artistry. And you have an issue there where cinema becomes a return on investment on every individual film that gets released. And what is good for the film industry in general, allowing young filmmakers to um, you know, experiment with, with cinema or, or back an old master to try something new, suddenly that gets replaced by can we have an airtight business case that this film will actually make its money? And suddenly the only thing that's being cared about is the bottom line. And before you know it, cinema has gone away and as we kind of get reduced to having, you know, five films that gets released every year in cinemas because each of them will hit a billion dollars. And it becomes less of a an artistic endeavor at that point and more just a, an exercise in, in making money. And I think what, what's fascinating as well is that you, when these accords were coming in, obviously we didn't have the, the technology that we have now and so much we've moved from being able to, you know, go to a cinema and get screened something. I mean, that, that's how they used to do with like basically television reels with like the news before they had televisions. Um, but n- now you've got platforms, you know, I just saw that the, the, the NBA player Yanis has got a film that's sort of been produced by WhatsApp, which will be available on YouTube yes. and, and Prime. And it's like, what even is like distribution and ownership of media anymore? <laughs> the fact that you could be like, yeah, Facebook could be a film company if they wanted to, to tomorrow, just like Apple is now. I mean, Coda won Best Film at the Academy Awards earlier this year, and it's on Apple, you know, and that that for them is, you know, secondary or, or, or you know, third thing as, as far as their, you know, it's much lower down the, the, their, their priority as far as a company is concerned, you know, that they're a technology company and yet, they're winning Oscars for, for, for the best film because they, they basically bought a, a film they liked, uh, uh, you know, before a, a distributor otherwise got to. So I think while I'm certainly not backing one way or another this decision, I think it's it's it really does feel like just trying to describe what cinema is now is so difficult and trying to determine, you know, the, the horrible word of content <laughs> is is you know, what are we even deciding is cinematic anymore? Because we have a bunch of, you know, what were Hollywood actors actually going on to television to do a limited series to do their artistry. And they they feel that they can sort of tell their stories there and get into characters and tell real world or interesting stories there and then go off and do, a you know, an appearance in Thor Ragnarok to go pay the, the mortgage or whatever. And um, I, we are very much in this transition period and, and both from a, sort of legal point of view as, as far as transitioning what, what these things mean, but even just from a film artistry point of view, trying to understand where this is going. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling a bit to, to fully get my head around exactly what's happening and what this means and whether or not we are going to see, you know, a, a simplistic view of this, like Disney literally owning cinemas again, and you being able to go to like the Disney um, cinema experience to go see the Disney films, you know? I mean, I assume that's now something that, that could happen as a result of, of this uh, allowed vertical integration. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know where you want to go next with this podcast without taking up another two hours one. Um, well, I just, I'm, I'm going to agree with you and then dissent a bit. So I agree with you, like cinema, Hollywood, if you told someone in the silent film era what issues we're having right now, it would blow their mind. Like mm-hmm. it's even if you told someone in 1948, how the accords end, they would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what is streaming? Um, and that was really the point that the DOJ was making in this, this repeal was <clears throat> this has changed so much that production distribution and exhibition are not that easily mm-hmm. definable anymore. Um, you can't differentiate between them that much anymore as as clear cut as you could in the studio era and it just it it has changed so fundamentally and this was before covid um which covid threw another whole wrench into everything with major studios being forced to release their films Um, forced by circumstance, not by law, to release their films 
on streaming sites rather than having theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. That completely changed everything even more than just repealing the Paramount Accords would. And this is something that that the courts said when they decided to repeal it. They were like, OK, well, this isn't going to be good because they repealed it in August 2020 during COVID. <clears throat> so they were like, OK, well, let's give them a two year sunsetting period where movie theaters can adjust um, for bringing back block booking, for uh, allowing studios to own them. And they knew that it was going to be a really rocky change and didn't really know what the studios were going to do if they were going to jump on this and like revamp their, their streaming sites even more, which Disney Plus did when they added... Um, what is it? Stars? Is that their extension pack? Yes. So yes, stars is basically what they have in other parts because we don't really have like Hulu in in the UK, for instance, the same way they have. So stars is like the international sort of the grown up content. Yeah. The adult content that Disney owns because Disney owns everything. Um, And they, they expanded even further. So we see this consolidation of streaming sites. Like I, I think they're getting rid of Hulu. Um, I read that fairly recently that Hulu is going to be phased out and everything is just going to be on Disney Plus. In yeah, the too. I think I think once their kind of contractual agreements with yeah content with with elsewhere kind of passes, then that will be the case. Very much the same way uh, Warner Brothers originally had and HBO Max basically had agreements with things like Sky in Europe, which meant that yeah. content is still available here and so certain parts of the world don't have hbo max such as the uk because we still have content sort of signed over to sky or, or whatever sorry about that either. yeah so well no that's all really helpful um information and examples because we're, we're seeing this consolidation of the power that the studios have over exhibition and part of this huge question was like everything's so different. How do we legislate this? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer to that is figure it the fuck out and not give <laughs> up because they gave up. They were just like, well, it's not fair to movie studios to not the, literally this was the argument the DOJ made. They said it was not fair for the movie studios who are now at a disadvantage because they are beholden to the accords to mm-hmm. allow streaming sites to not be, hold it, be beholden to them. And the answer to that was just getting rid of the accords, mm-hmm. which is fucking absurd. <laughs> like, why would you not re-regulate this and design new legislation before the sunsetting period ends? Which is what a lot of people thought they were going to do, but they did not because the sunsetting period ended in August of this year, 2022. Mm-hmm. So we have a kind of clusterfuck in Hollywood that we don't really know what to do with. And getting back to the thread that I posted, that was my speculation on what Warner Brothers is doing. I think Warner Brothers looked around when the appeals, uh, the accords were revealed and was like, oh, we cannot compete with Disney. We absolutely cannot compete with the people who own Marvel and Star Wars with our little DC property. So they're just they're just jumping ship in as far as I'm concerned. Like that's my opinion and speculation onto what's happening. But I think that they are stripping their holdings and we are going to see the the end of WB in the next few years because they they just don't feel that they can compete and they would be right. They cannot compete in a post Accords world with Disney, the largest corporation that wasn't beholden to the Accords before by the same measure of the main studios, but were to a degree so that they didn't get fined and then beholden to them, that they didn't have to sign a decree. They they had more leeway, but they were still kind of under the, the system. And now they have pretty much free reign. And 
smaller studios are not going to be able to compete. WB is a major studio in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I was going to say if, if WB can compete with its sort of back catalogue and its ties to DC and Harry Potter and everything else, then that really does tell a story. If that is indeed the decision they made, I, I know they've had other financial decisions to do mm-hmm. with trying to keep you know stock market happy and whatever. Although once they actually made their dealings, I think they lost about three billion dollars in value off the back of that. Um, so you know, good job Warner Brothers. Um, I'm fascinated by the Warner Brothers thing and how it's playing out. And whether or not, as you say, uh, are we going to have that studio there in five, ten years? And if not, who picks? I mean, can you imagine if Disney ends up owning DC and Harry Potter as well? So I do think that Disney's going to end up owning DC. I don't know if it'll be in the next five years or ten mm-hmm. or whatever, but I do think that Disney's going to end up owning them. And I think it'll break down along lines of what happened with Sony. Mm. Um and how Sony sold, sold off kind of character rights. I think DC is going to do that with some of the lesser characters, but they would never, like if they sold the rights to Batman or Superman, then they can yeah. just file bankruptcy the same day. Like that's never. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I suppose the Sony one's a little bit different in the sense that those are Marvel and characters that they have rights to and they're sort of loaning back to yeah the, yeah that's true they have, that is they, true. have they have basically sort of distribution rights on on the films from previous deals they made when these characters weren't seen as valuable uh whereas obviously these are like uh, I don't know the specifics about the DC relationship with Warner Brothers and whether I is is I probably should know this whether or not DC is actually owned at this point by Warner Brothers but certainly the, the, the deal is um, they, they are so tied together that um, if, yeah, as you say, Vaughn, if if Warner Brothers decide that actually it's financially better to sell off, I don't even know how you could go about selling off like Batman. You know, how, how much is how much is that worth and how do you give that value? I mean, no, the fact exactly. That they... the, 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 so I was going to say, the fact that Disney were able to per- make the purchase they did under Eigner, the, the deals, I mean, they made, what was it, like $4 billion for for Marvel or something like that? $4 billion for Star Wars and Lucasfilm and $4 billion for Pixar or whatever? I mean, you think about how much money they make just from, like, Iron Man pajamas every time Christmas comes around? I mean, I, I don't know how you quantify that kind of value in, in ownership. And Batman and Superman are, are maybe two of the, the five biggest superheroes there is. So, um, yeah, I... I I don't. I just don't know how you quantify that kind of thing. It's it's going to be messy. It's whatever it is. It's going to be messy. But I do personally believe that WB is going in that direction of realizing that they're not a long term in uh, a long term mm-hmm. company. They they do not have long in Hollywood unless something dramatically changes, and they're finding where their profits are and kind of stripping the rest of the things. And as you say, again, there are so many other factors here because you just mentioned that um, they're letting their their contracts with HBO Max kind of lapse. Um, so with like, there are so many different factors here and different financial obligations that they have and all of these things. My speculation on it is definitely a simplified version, mm-hmm. um, but that is what I think that we are seeing right now. And as a result of the Accords, which again, they officially fully ended a month ago. So we do not know what the actual ramifications here are going to be. We don't know if like certain cinemas are going to fold, which actually is already happening because um, Cineworld, the owners of Regal mm -hmm. Cinemas, they're folding at the moment. They've just filed bankruptcy, I believe last week. Um, and that is partly because of COVID and all of these other changes that we're talking about with the film industry and distribution, exhibition, all of those things that streaming sites are just so much more popular. People are going to cinema less, but I I do think that it's also part of the accords after the, the announcement was made from the Southern district of New York, Cineworld had a bump in their stocks. That was, I believe, 30% in a, over the week after the um, the announcement was made. Interesting. And then it plummeted again by like 50%. And it was already really low because of COVID. 
So like they, they haven't been able to financially recover. And there was a lot of speculation as to why they had a bump after the announcement that studios could own cinemas again. Um, I haven't read a convincing one either way as to what happened there. Um, People are still arguing about it, whether it was people like buying stocks because they, they thought it would help or I don't know, but um, Cineworld has, has officially kind of crumbled and they're a major studio or a major movie theater chain. So we really can't tell what's going to happen here over the next few years. There are way too many factors um, and the Accords are just one of them, but I think they're a very significant one of them. Okay, so we're hitting about the 40-minute mark now, so I think it's um, probably time that we, we close up this, although we could keep talking. Um, and we, we do thankfully have a, a separate podcast coming up in, in the future that would allow us to, to talk about these, these types of things. So why don't we clo- close on, on this subject here and instead um, say hello to our new listeners who might be um, they might be listening for the first time off, off the back of um, Vaughn's uh, fame and, and celebrity. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, to sort of just very quickly reintroduce ourselves and what the show's about and maybe suggest some of the episodes that we've done over the last few years. So just as, a, as an introduction, it is myself, Simon, Vaughn and Toby who present the show and um, I'll let them say a few words about, about themselves. But uh, myself and Toby uh, created the show back in 2018, I believe it was, and then uh, we were doing episodes on kind of a, a monthly basis back back then and then we were very fortunate to, to add Vaughn into the mix I think about getting on for two and a half years ago now Vaughn I think um yeah, March 2020 yeah there you go and uh yeah Vaughn came onto the show and has added um a fantastic new angle to that and um yeah it's been a real pleasure and um yeah I, my, my my background is more sort of studying sort of media history and film history although I'm in certainly no way a historian and um uh, okay you are too you're a public thank historian you. thank you it. that's very kind of you um uh toby do you want to just say hello and just introduce and then say goodbye as you're off to um conquer other parts of the world i believe yeah yeah me and simon i created this podcast it's kind of like a merger between like simon's media stuff and my like uh, u.s history stuff and uh, we've covered, I mean, basically the, the bulk of American history going from the end of the World War II to almost today, really. I mean, yeah. apart from, the, apart from the, the Obama and the Trump years, we've covered it all, but we've, we've taken it from the angle of um, political media and political communications. So focusing, you know, if we take a, a campaign, like the Reagan campaign, but we focus really on like how Reagan, like the idea of Reagan, how Reagan was able to distribute his image and his priorities out to the American people through like television, radio, and other kinds of media, which which also allows us to drift into uh, Reagan's career in Hollywood. So it's a, it's focused on like how and. Basically, how a lot of American characters and movements have been made, but been made through the media, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we we we, we covered the, the whole uh, second half of the twentieth century, and it's been, been great fun. And then we we brought born in because uh, she's a historian right now at uh, UCL uh, University in media and and uh, covering Hollywood and. and post-war period as well which was perfect for us and uh, she started in, in nice and covered a lot of the uh, research um, that we, we needed to and yeah it's been, been excellent and uh, and hope to create more more episodes but really looking forward to this uh, Hollywood podcast that we're going to be doing soon which drifts uh, away from the political media focus to the more media media Image making, Hollywood, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, and, and 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 everything that's great about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that's nice to put, Toby. Yeah. So, 
Um, before before I let Vaughn reintroduce herself, um, I'll just say that we have, uh, yeah, done a number of different shows, which we'll, we'll cover in a minute, and we, we, we kind of do cover things from the historical side, but we've also, uh, we did cover the political side, um, especially around the, the election, and um, cover, cover that in some depth, and that was both fascinating and, and terrible in, in equal measures. Mm-hmm. Um, Vaughn, do you want to uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. Um, I'm Vaughn, and as you probably already know, I study film and Hollywood. <laughs> um, I am looking at, I'm, I'm working on my PhD at University College London at the moment, um, and I study the government's infiltration of Hollywood in 1947 with the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Um, and also the kind of cultural ramifications that that had via case study on Christmas films. So my dissertation is on Christmas films from 1946 to 1961. Um, and then, yeah, we just, we, we cover so many awesome, interesting things on this show that I didn't, I remember telling Toby when I interviewed with him that I was really excited about this because there was so much about the 20th century that I didn't know. Mm. Um, I formerly was a classicist. I used to study ancient languages and then just kind of jumped into <laughs> post-war film for my PhD, which wasn't the greatest idea, but um, it seems to be working out. So I told Toby that I was really excited to just learn about the 20th century and um, be able to justify doing all of this research by by actually having like a research goal with it. Um, and I have learned so much from doing the research and talking to you guys and talking to our amazing guests. Um, Toby is phenomenal at getting just brilliant guests for us to speak to. Um, and it's been really fun. it's it's been a it's been a very enjoyable experience and um there's been one or two episodes where Vaughn's been able to speak to uh people who've actually been really important in, in her oh. sort of uh his, historical research yeah. life uh which were big research big, idols big sir a uh, big big thing for you in fact do you want to call out the the I suppose the one or two episodes in particular that that, that mattered the most to you from yeah earlier this year um I got to interview Simon and Toby really let me have this one um, because it meant so much to me. I got to interview Ellen Schrecker, uh, who, if you are unfamiliar with her or her work, she studies McCarthyism. And she was the first historian to really, really analyze McCarthy and McCarthyism after the Cold War with her Mm. book from, I believe, 1991, um, Many Are the Crimes maybe it was 1998, but she's just a powerhouse in anti-communism studies and McCarthyism. So that was a dream come true for me to be able to speak to her. And, and now then, she's your, your friend and colleague. Now she's my friend and colleague. I got to meet her in person. I went on a walk with her in New York. It was great. Yeah, And <laughs> um, on the podcast, she was so impressed with you and so uh, eager to be just like doing stuff alongside you. It was it was really sweet to, to, to see that happen. That, that was one of my, the best days of my life, actually. Um, <laughs> and then recently, we got to interview Ian Gordon, who is another uh, historian who really sent me on this path um, in undergrad. I, I should clarify, I just said that I am a former classicist, but in undergrad, I did two bachelor's degrees. So one was in history and one was in classics. And... Mm in my history program, I was introduced to Ian Gordon my senior year when I was doing a grad class that just blew my mind. His book on um, comics and consumer culture, comic strips and consumer culture, just absolutely blew my mind of what you can do with cultural history, that you can look at these things that we see every day and draw out all of the kind of latent messages, the subliminal messages, the the inferences that they can have and influences that they do have 
on how you think about certain subjects, which is why I'm studying something like Christmas films and the um, messages that you take away, that you leave the, the cinema after seeing something like It's a Wonderful Life and you feel this like pro-American kind of pro-capitalist feeling and you don't quite know why because the film isn't necessarily marketed as a pro-American, pro-capitalist film. So Ian Gordon really, really set me on that path. And we got to interview him recently. Yeah. And again, he was so delightful and so kind. It was, uh, yeah, it was an, another great episode. Um, so, yeah, we, we've done a variety of things. We did a really interesting series of episodes, which was American Cities on Film. So we covered a variety of different American cities and, and films that were, were set in those. And that, that was a really interesting journey. And we were fortunate enough to have Vaughn, who was able to, introduce sort of mini histories of those cities over the last sort of 80 years or so which was in no way a complete challenge to Vaughn and she didn't uh, hate me every time she had to do that uh although I, I like to think I was I was actually enabling Vaughn to uh, get get better at her presenting uh summary of history skills so you know you're, you you're were welcome. you were indeed and I do think that I'm much better because of that practice so I'm sorry the history world also collaborated with a number of other similar podcasts. Yeah. Uh, Adam Johnson from Citations Needed. Yep. Uh, we had Julian Feld from QAnon Anonymous. Uh, Matt Crispin from Chapo Trap House. Uh, you know, we're part of the family of podcasts in, in this space outside of history, into politics, into mystery and uh, conspiracy theories and all this other stuff. So we, we have some of those people coming in. Yeah, and before I, uh, it's probably a good point to, to mention as well, we'll, we'll get into um, a couple more episodes or types of episodes that we've done on the actual impressions feed, but um, we we do actually exist on podcast outside of it. As I mentioned, we are um, looking at doing a, a Hollywood uh, podcast, a Hollywood on Focus, uh, Focus on Hollywood uh, podcast coming um, later this year. Uh, Vaughn and I um, and, and our friend have a, a Star Wars podcast called The Joy of Star Wars, which is always fun to do. And Vaughn, that's a particular love and interest of yours to, to talk about all things Star Wars and dive into history, both real world and, uh, and Star Wars on that. And uh, Toby, you've got The Golden Age of Murder, which is a, a true crime podcast, uh, which has been fascinating and uh, is, uh, again, just a, sort of another level of interest that, that we have as, as far as talking about history and, and, and stories that, that are out there. So, um, yeah, the, the, there's sort of lots of, uh, lots of uh, podcasts you can hear ourselves on. And um, you guys, especially Vaughn, are quite often guesting on, on other podcasts as well, which um, is always nice to, to hear about. Um, so, yeah, from our perspective, as I said, we were doing the the, 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 the focus on we did quite a bit of focus on um american cities on, on film we've as toby mentioned we, we covered um presidents and we did sort of various series of shows on the different presidents from from reagan to uh, clinton um to, to bush um we, we we covered some really interesting interesting ground there and uh we've um done smaller one-off episodes be it you know the history of the wwe or uh, we did uh, Conservative and Liberals Hall, Halls of Fame, which were kind of good, uh, fun episodes and, and, and lots of stuff there. And Vaughn, you also did a, a Christmas episode with us where you were able mm. to present your research, which was really good as well. So um, is there any other shows you guys would like to, to throw out there as far as ones that the uh, our audience might be able to listen to if they haven't already? Um, yeah. One of my favorites was the West Wing episode. That we oh did. yeah i really loved the west wing episode um i watched all of the west wing in like a week to prepare <laughs> for that episode because i had never seen it before um so that 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 episode and also that whole like time mm -hmm. frame of prepping for it really holds a dear place in my heart because you're a big fan of sort of center-left liberal politics aren't oh you, my god absolutely love it <laughs> totally love it. We're extremely sarcastic on this podcast. Just a heads up. <laughs> Very sarcastic. Um, what other ones? I really like our Hall of Fame episodes mm -hmm. with conservative and liberal Halls of Fame. Yeah, so they were um, good to get into because it did kind of um, allow us to quote unquote celebrate uh, people who have impacted uh, 
American politics. We just vent. We just vent on those ones, and it's really great. We just pick someone from history we hate and throw them in a hall of fame <laughs> and yell about them for a bit. It's fantastic. Um, I also like we we've done some kind of like themed episodes, um, mm-hmm. like American Patriotism with Ben Railton, yep. um, talking about his book on on just the different kinds of patriotism and how we got to the point that we are now with like neo Nazis. So those have been really interesting. Um, I was going to say we had the the George Soros hedge fund one with Sebastian Malaby and that, you know, we're not financial people. So it was really interesting to to learn about that type of thing. Um, Yeah, I really love our, um, sorry, Simon. Yeah, no, I was going to say we've got an episode, our next episode, which we've already recorded coming up, which was a fascinating one on on NASA and the Cold War period, which was uh, really good. So sorry, Vaughn, you were going to add. That one's so interesting. That was really fascinating. And I'm really excited for people to hear that one. Um, what, what was I going to say? Oh, I really love when we do film review episodes and have yeah. an expert come in and, and talk about like the subject matter of the film. And then we discuss, um, yeah. like, for example, we did um, Wall Street and yes. uh, Big Short. With the Big Short, Summit. yeah. yeah. Both both those episodes with Felix were really interesting. And as you say, we're not, uh, Toby maybe a little bit more than us two, but none of us would claim to be experts on the sort of financial side of things and the economic side of things. And yeah. then have, having him kind of come in with that perspective and, and that knowledge was, uh, was re- really interesting as well. Um, yeah, we have a whole lot of different kind of things, the kinds of things that we get into on this podcast. And it's just been really interesting. So please do like have a scroll through the the Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever you listen and see if there's anything of interest. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, a Star Wars episode that I bullied Simon and Toby into letting me do in 2021, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that turned into a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> so <laughs> if you really like the the star wars episode we did um in 2021 please do go check out joy of star wars because that is one of my favorite little things that we do <laughs> it's just a yeah. little passion project absolutely and um we we get to experience vaughn's knowledge of star wars and my relative um and experience of of some of the finer points of, of star wars um yeah, uh, probably the last one that I was going to call out just on the list of ones I had. So, I mean, we've done so many great episodes. I really like the, the masculinity at the end of history. Um, so the, the cinema one we did. Oh, yeah, that Adam, was interesting. Adam, with Adam Neiman and sort of discovered or sort of went through some films of the late 90s and how masculinity was being depicted on, on screen at that time and uh, sort of some of the social and economic and political things that were happening um, in and around America at that time as well. So yeah, uh, we, we've we've done quite a lot of episodes at this point. We we hope to continue to do more, and we've got side projects going on on different podcasts as well that um, are are keeping our interest going. So, um, yeah, as I always do, whenever we come up to some sort of anniversary or, or something like that, I would just like to say a big thank you to Toby and Vaughn um, for all they do on on the episodes and how much they they drive forward both of the research and and bringing in guests and and just everything they bring to it it's an absolute pleasure for myself to work with them so um i promised vaughn i wouldn't be too nice to her so we're gonna have to end the podcast now before she can strike back at me um right okay well we should probably leave there before i say too many nice things about my my co-hosts and they get upset um so yeah this has been a a special bonus episode and uh next week uh, you should be able to get a, a, a new episode out which was the planned one which is nasa which as on said was actually a really really interesting one and i hope people enjoy that so um yeah sorry was there anything you guys wanted to, to say before we finished up um no thanks for listening though and if you enjoy it please do subscribe and review us i really hate how i sound saying those things <laughs> <laughs> smash that like button guys um but please do like leave us some ratings um if you enjoyed it yeah absolutely um i have no problem being being a shrill and being like yeah please like and subscribe and you know do all those kind of stuff you know um that that's beneath vaughn but it, i'm i'm afraid i'm a much worse person than vaughn so i'm happy to have to say those words instead uh, <laughs> but you must like and subscribe if, if you don't we'll, we'll find a way to find you 
<laughs> we will. T- Toby has some friends that we can we can exercise these things through. So no no pressure to put five stars and some nice comments and spread the words to your friends and family. Yeah, the contact list. Oh. This doesn't just include guests, it includes people, you know, you're going to find out to meet. So. It does. You don't, you, don't, you don't meet the kind of contacts that Toby's met over the years without also meeting some other people who, let's just say, they wouldn't be the ones appearing on the podcast. Um, I don't think we should be threatening people. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Toby's ties to different governments from around the world and whether or not they ended in special tribunals are that that's a completely side issue and shouldn't take away from the fact that this is something that we we do for free and we we hope people will will enjoy the stuff we put out there and they're under no obligation to go and put five stars against it but if if they'd like to we'd greatly appreciate it is is that better von are you more happy from a legal point of view now that is better thank you and just a moral one you bitch Oh, okay. Well, that 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 issue sailed a long time ago. Certainly, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. No. Uh, okay. Right. From from myself, Simon, from 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 Toby, and from the moralists, central liberal, which is Vaughn. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yes, we'll have another episode for you next week, which will be the last one. Take care. Goodbye. Bye.